Today's going to be a recording that I did with my mastermind group where I discussed about cap rates. There is also a video recording of this that you guys can go to the YouTube channel and check out. And I'll be in San Francisco next weekend speaking at a real estate seminar and also be looking to meet up with as many Hui Deal Pipeline Club members and especially members in live deals. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events and let me know that you're coming so I can give you the details once I figure out what's going on. And here's the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. But today I wanted to talk about cap rates. It's going to be more of an academic discussion. You know, feel free to type comments into the chat or questions as it comes up. And this should be a lot of review for you guys. This property class, you know, there's A, B, C, D. Uh, a A class is the the luxury type of properties. B class and C class are the type of properties that we like to pick up because that's the optimal level of headaches to cash flow. Class D is the bad tenants, bad areas, stay away. So those are on the right side, the historical cap rates on what you can expect to see in those four classes. And this is not, it's not like this is what it always is. I want to just say like it's in relation to each other. Class A will always be the lowest and then you stack the B and you stack the C on top of that and you stack the, the D on top of that. Now today, interest rates are lower and so are cap rates because cap rates and interest rates, they kind of stack on, on top of each other. The whole point of like you borrow it at maybe three, 4% and then you make five, 6%. There's always a spread and then it, and as an investor, you're making money off the spread and you're applying good leverage to it you know, three or maybe four times as much to get that, that true yield or that return on investment. So today, class, that class A, 5 to 7%, that's definitely high. Today, we're in an environment where you're seeing maybe 3% to 5%. Just to give some frame of reference, I would say class A in... Los Angeles, oh, I don't even know, but I bet it's like two to 3%. I'm sure you, a lot of you guys know what it really is out there. Dallas, I know a little bit better. You're looking at like three to four and a half percent for the class A stuff. Class B in Dallas, you know, you're looking at fives, C's five and a half maybe, and D, you know, who knows. The profit and loss statement is always garbage. So you got to kind of take the cap rate with a grain of salt. And this is why people, they'll say, well, what cap rates do you buy at? What do you tell a broker what you're looking for? Well, I don't give them a cap rate because most times the profit and loss statement or the T12 is all bogus anyway. You know, you can show less expenses and that will make your cap rate go up. So the cap rate is how much money you're making as a percentage if you didn't have leverage on it. So if you're making... Um, if you, you buy a property, a class A on this chart, you know, you're making anywhere from five to seven percent. Of course, like we said, in today's environment where interest rates are lower, the cost of borrowing is lower, therefore also the the investment yield is lower, probably a two two percent off each of these at least. And we're also in an environment where it's been a bull market for the last ten years. 
and everybody's looking for yield. Another term people say people are starved for yield. So this is why everybody's kind of making their way to all these um, different asset classes like mobile home parks. Mobile home parks used to be, you know, double digit caps originally, but now you're seeing it come back to earth, you know, in the five to 8% range. Does that make sense to everybody? You know how we, I don't really go off cap rates when I'm talking to a broker because uh, sometimes again, like the expenses aren't the right way or they're not showing the right income and that can definitely um, show incorrect cap. I think the biggest sucker move is when you're presented a deal and it, it's on a piece of paper where they're saying, well, it's a, it's a 12 cap. I'm like, all right, well, let's see what it really is in the income and expenses. So the chart there is cap rate versus risk. So some people will say, well, I want a higher cap rate, but just know the more higher your cap rate, that's the bigger risk that you're going to be taking on on the property because it's maybe not in a more established area like Dallas or San Francisco. And so, so if, you're, if you're venturing out into tertiary markets or especially even those smaller markets, your cap rates will be, will be higher. But that's inherently what the risk is. Like we don't know if some of those tertiary markets, if it's just going up, the yields are just going up because people just need a place to live. So the, the short of it is just don't go chasing yield or cap rates. So here's a, another chart of, you know, you get A, B, and C properties. Just, again, just take a look at how they stack up relative to each other. In different markets, they may range up or down. And in different economic times, they may range up or down today's economic times, it would, it would be a lot lower than this. Then it's all based off the NOI, which is the net operating income. I've got a chart of what that exactly is. Probably should show that to you guys. So here's kind of the, the only math you need to know the formula for this. So it's the NOI divided by the cap rate equals the property value. And this is why I personally like commercial real estate because it's not based on, it's based on math. It's not based on like, well, what did that other house sell for? What did that other house sell for? It's not based on comps. That's why like when you, when I look at a pitch deck, there's always that page in there. What are the other sale properties sold for? I don't really pay too much attention to that because I don't know. Look, the property may look the same on the exterior and have similar square footage and be similar vintage or year, but we don't know what's going on in that NOI, which is the, the numerator in this equation. We know what, what the cap rate is, and that's, you know, if we have the cap rate, we can figure out the estimated property value, but we don't know the NOI of that other sold property. So that's why I just throw out, usually I throw out the sales data, but it, it is a nice, uh, it's just another set of data. But I think newer investors, uh, they rely too much on those sales comps because you could have a property that is just not performing very well. Or you could have a property that is performing extremely well, therefore why it's, it has a high property value. Have you ever listened to a podcast or been in a seminar and too afraid to ask a slightly personal question? Our mastermind will have an intimate feel where people are going through the program together and at their own pace if needed, in order to foster friendships. When I was learning and paying thousands of dollars for masterminds and mentorships, the network, however hokey pokey as it sounds, was a big part of it. What happens in the mastermind stays in the mastermind. We'll use the bi-weekly webinar sessions to dissect concepts with real-life examples. Hear how someone else might implement something like infinite banking concept on a hot seat session. 
Our group will attract thought leaders to meet just with our exclusive group. We can get FaceTime and ask individual questions. Why? Because our group will be people who put their money where their mouth is and go out and make things happen, as opposed to your local REI club, which is traditionally just a bunch of tired kickers and some sharks. SimplePassiveCashflow.com backslash journey to learn more. Hey, Lane. Yeah, go ahead. Again, hey, do they, will, will the, the seller ever give you the tax return related to that property for the LLC? Because then you'll at least know what they told the IRS, what the NOI was. Yeah, so sometimes you can't go off of that, right? Like, I mean, a lot of us are business owners. Sometimes we will show more expenses than what was really done, which is great for not paying taxes, but it'll shoot you in the foot if you're looking to sell the property. When you're buying these properties, it's all over the place. You got people, people not wanting to pay taxes or you know, people wanting to sell the property so they're gonna sort of inflate the, uh, the profit and loss statement. So it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. So getting the, um, the tax return is a good way of verifying at least, at least you know that. You know what the minimum would be. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if they're gonna lie, they're probably gonna lie to the IRS too, but you know, at least it's a, it's a data point. Um, they say you're supposed to, you know, you, you get the P&Ls, but you're supposed to audit them. Like you're, you're supposed to get the bank statements and match it all up, which mm -hmm. is a tedious process. But if you wanna do it right, that's the way to do it. All right, thank you. The taxes is like a quick, quicker way of doing it. You know, cause a lot of times you're just trying to do the quick, the quick way, right? Cause you want to put in a offer and then once you get the offer accepted, then you're auditing all the financials after rent rolls. And then you're, you're back, you're, you're getting the rent rolls, but you got to fact check it with the bank statement. Uh, question here, when you're evaluating a deal, are you verifying the trailing 12? I mean, initially you aren't, you just put an offer Assuming that the seller is, you know, they have good integrity and that's what it is. But that's what the due diligence period is for. You're going in there, you're auditing the trailing 12. Luckily, the bank is doing the same thing. The good questions, guys. Um, keep them coming. So here is, it should be all reviewed to you guys. So there's the different classes of properties or of neighborhoods. And here's kind of where, how it stacks up where the, the houses are on the top. These aren't hotels, but these are like the apartments. These are where kind of people are living. So the bell curve, I mean, we could probably argue a little bit, but I believe most people in America live in class D houses or class C apartments. Maybe a bit of a culture shock, but I mean, most people make what less than fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. Uh, one third of that is twenty thousand dollars. I mean, that's that's kind of like the one third rule is is what people can afford for their housing for the year. So most of the baby boomers, the older folks are living in, they've kind of moved up upstream. They're living in houses, but they're going to be moving to apartments in the future. The Gen X's are gonna kind of be moving upwards to vacate those vacancies. The Gen Y's, these guys behind them are moving into houses and apartments then the millennials are kind of falling out right behind it. So there's this, you know, people are saying like, well, I don't want to have a class B house or a class A house. I mean, there's always, there's always a, a home for somebody. As the saying goes, there's always a college for everybody. 
no matter how smart you are or not smart you are. But what happens in a recession? You know, so the population will kind of drift backwards. And this is, this is why I like the more class C in tertiary markets or definitely class C because, you know, people are going to, people in the A class properties, they're going to hurt the most. You know, like in Dallas, they have $2,500 rent uh, luxury apartments where I think like $400, $600 goes, goes to like kind of like an activity fee. Then they've got like movie theaters in there. They've got like bars, different activities almost every night of the week. Like I'm thinking in a recession, those people are going to be like, well, we don't want to live there. We're not going to pay for that. So they're going to move back to the B's. And same thing, the people in the B's are going to move back to the C and C's are going to move to the D. So there's just going to be this great transfer downwards. And this is why I like, I feel like if you're investing in good workforce housing, I mean, you should be fine in a recession. The joke is the millennials is going to move back in with their parents in those class B and C houses. So again, here's the formula. So what you do is you take the annual net operating income. So that's income minus expenses and you divide it by the cap rate of the property. Because Duke, you, I don't know if you're on, but you guys bought a property that was what, a 50 unit or so? Yeah, 52 unit. 52 units, so let me get my calculator out. So 52 units and you guys, let's just say you guys are making like $200 a, a month per property, per unit, right? So that's like 10 grand times 12. You guys should be making, $125,000 is your NOI. That's your income minus expenses. I'm just using a quick, a quick and dirty $200 per unit. So that's your NOI, $125,000. And when divide that by, I know you guys are in like a tertiary market, right? So I'm going to call it maybe like a six cap. So I'm going to divide it by 0 0.06 and this should get us pretty close to the purchase price, which was it like around one point or 2.1 or something like that? Uh, 1.43. Okay. You guys must have, must be a higher cap rate. <laughs> yeah. It's like a closer to eight cap. Okay. Okay. But that's, that's just an example of how you, how we come up with the estimated property values. So like when you, when you do force appreciation on properties, like something like, let's just say the properties are undervalued by $45 and there's a hundred units in the property. So you're going to create $4,500 a month of extra revenue. And so that's $54,000 a year, assuming it's an eight cap, which is pretty, pretty similar to Duke's property. You bump the, the property value up $675,000 in value uh, just by bumping the rents up to market rents of a $45 across the board increase. Uh, another example is utility bill back to tenants. Sometimes it's not that you're creating more revenue, but it's, you know, a dollar saved is the same as a dollar um, earned. So in this case, you're saving money. So hundred units times, you know, $40 per unit saved a month, you're bumping the value up $600,000. Other than, you know, increasing uh, decreasing expenses, you can also have other income. And this is what I see with the more higher class properties with the class B, B and definitely class C properties. The play is just very traditional bumping rents. There isn't much value, uh, value you can create with other amenities, but with these B plus, A minus apartment deals in Dallas, I see these guys 
increasing the value with other income, which is um, here's one reserve parking. They'll charge $100 a space. And let's just say they only have 20 spaces because it's Texas and people don't pay for parking, but they will, some people will. So in this case, you'll create $2,000 a month of revenue. And that's about $24,000 a year divided by the cap rate. You just bumped up the value of your entire property by $300,000. And this is, this is the magic of commercial real estate right here. So moving on, I've talked about this uh, a bunch of times in the group. This is the reversion cap rate. This uh, I'm bringing this up again. I'm going to kind of teach this again, because I think when you think about this whole calculation, this, it, it kind of solidifies this whole idea, but the whole idea is as a rule of thumb, when you're trying to figure out, when you're trying to underwrite these deals and trying to project out five years into the future, you're trying to use a reversion cap rate, which is the same thing as an exit cap rate. The exit cap rate, reversion cap rate is just a guess on what the cap rate will be in the future. Since you want to be conservative, you want to assume that you're going to sell in a softer market. So if, what's my example here? So my, if my example here is, so say you you buy a property that's a 5% cap market right now. You want to be using a 6% cap in your assumptions in the future. And, you know, going back to some of the examples that we did before, all those value add and expense reduction activities, you, you use those reversion caps on that. And you also impacts the sale of the property in the future. So if you're kind of, if you're trying to thinking about how, how these numbers all work and you're not quite a spreadsheet person, you think about it in terms of like, you, you have all these, you're going to change the profit and loss statement. You're going to increase the, the income. You're going to decrease the expenses. So that what the underwriting tool is doing is it's going to factor all that in. It's going to figure out at the end of the business plan, what is this property valued at? One of the biggest inputs is the reversion cap rate. And it's, it's gonna, you're going to take, you're going to input that reversion cap rate in and it's going to spit out a number on what this thing is going to sell in the future. So you might buy a property for 10 million and it might, when you, when you put it into underwriting to it might come out as 12. And from that $12 million, that's how you're, you're, you're creating all the value for investors. And that's how you, at that point, it's just splitting up those returns over the, the years. So from a high level, that's kind of how it works. Cap rate uh, formulas here is sort of the same thing. NOI divided by the value equals the rate, the cap rate. Uh, this is just algebra here. We just moved around the formulas from this main um, foundational formula here. But I think the hardest part in this whole exercise going in is figuring out what is the cap rate? I think we've, we've kind of talked about that a few times. I can kind of give you guys a good guess, plus or minus half a percent on what I think it is for a certain market for a class of properties. Again, different class of properties in different markets determines that prevailing cap rate. So here are just some other, other examples. Go ahead. I was just going to ask as far as the, um, the reversion cap rate, and I've heard you refer to it as like a wild ass guess before and stuff. 
Um, is there any way that to make it more scientific? Like, is there any historical data out there that showed that, oh, the prevailing cap rate in a certain market in 2007, when the economy was good, was X. And then three years later, when we were in the dumps, it was, you know, a, a, it was Y. And you could sort of take the difference and estimate that, like, in five years, if we do go into a recession, we have an idea of how much the cap rate can fluctuate. Yeah, I think... I've never actually done that before, but I think you would go to like some of these Yardi reports and I'm sure they have it in there. I mean, basically you're looking, there's going to be like a, a sine curve and you're going to look where the water line was back in 2007 and then where it fell to in 2009. I think that's a, that's a good way of doing it. The whole rule of thumb here, how you use the 1%, which you're right, Bob, it is a wild ass guess. That's why you're going up plus 1%. Some people will only do like half a percent or some people will even do zero or some people even go negative, which I think is a little absurd. The Another rule of thumb out there is for every like six months that you plan on holding the property, you increase it by like a quarter point. I don't know if that's right, but you know, you, you take the, the amount of hold period and you increase it by that much. For me, a lot of the deals that I do they're like five-year holds. So, you know, however much that is, it usually comes out to 1%. There comes a point in time where I think, well, let's just be super conservative, right? Let's go 1.5%. And I think that's just getting a little bit ridiculous at that point. I think one is plenty. Of course, you know, like a lot of deals, they'll, they'll, sometimes they'll do these sensitivity analysis that look really fancy, but I, I just think that it's just a little bit, I don't think it's too useful, but they'll show like, well, Let's just say it's a, instead of a seven cap, let's just say we're in a 6.5 cap market, or let's just say if it's a 7.5 cap market, what does our investor returns look like? And, and your question also made me think about late into the evenings at the bar, the, you know, multifamily operators will get into these stupid arguments about how like, well, Dallas was traditionally a six cap market before in the class B, uh, A some of the arguments are like, well, now Dallas is more of a tier one market. And this is backed up by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Say it's a tier one. In a recession, like how you're saying, will it go down back to the cap rate it was? Or has it fundamentally changed as a market? To me, when you pull your head out of like all the academia and Excel spreadsheets, look at te Dallas, Texas, it's like no brainer. I mean, all the roads are different. It's just with, look at the population. It's completely different market of 10 years ago. I think that's what you have to kind of look at. You have to weigh those, Bob. Yeah, if the whole landscape has changed, then yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, like, you know, it's like the, the Uber driver says, he's driving you around Dallas and he says, well, yeah, that property, that property was like $400,000 10 years ago. Well, it's a different market, you know, Uber driver. Like it, it's fundamentally changed. Will it revert back? I don't know. Probably not. But you know, that's that's why we're we're investors, right? And I think if you're investing for cash flow too, at the same time, I think you should be all right. But it's just good to know these things as a passive investor, and that's that's my whole goal for you guys is to just to be aware of just all the sucker punches that can be done. I mean, it's not going to be one percent all the time. I mean, heck, even myself, I deals don't even work if you do 1%. And 
I mean, on that last Huntsville, we did it to like a 0.75 because it was a B class and it was Huntsville. So sue me. I mean, other people are doing like a zero delta on their version cap or just going up to half a percent. Justin's question here, can you go over a situation where it would be understandable to use less than a 1% version cap? Like you were very bullish in the market. How would the delta on the version cap rate be on property classes? So I got a couple of examples. One example was like that Huntsville property that I just mentioned. Uh, we use a plus 1% on the Gulfport deal just prior, but you know, Gulfport, you know, it's Mississippi, right? Like it's not an exploding market for sure. Um, it's also not, not going to go crashing and diving down because of, uh, you know, all the, the port economy. What we're trying to do is we're trying to calibrate. We're trying to level it in terms of what we've done in the past. And because it was more of a B class property, we went with a plus 0.75. Now the other example of where you would use a less than 1% is if you're fundamentally changing the property you're doing huge value add and what i mean by huge value add, maybe ten twenty thousand dollars per unit i think at that point you might have a case to to be using like a half percent because you're what you're doing here and a good thing i have these charts here what you're doing here is you're taking a b-class property and well actually that's not a good chart but you're taking like a b-class property here and you're sort of changing it to an A minus. So you're kind of pushing it into a different class, if that makes sense. So it's kind of trading at a, at a different equity multiplier. So a similar example would be in a different world of investing is you have like these website traders, they'll buy websites at like half a million dollars that have one or two sources of income would be Amazon fulfillment and eBay. But then when you get to a level where the websites are starting to trade for $2 million, you've got multiple streams of income. You got the, you, you got the Amazon fulfillment, the eBay, which is the same as the other, the, the $500,000 company, but it also has um, a brick and mortar front. It also has a way to go international. It's just got a lot, a little bit more bells and whistles. So for that company, even though it has the same NOI or you know same proportionate NOI to how big the company is, it trades at a different multiplier. So that's what I'm kind of talking about here. Does that make sense, Justin? Or anybody else? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, is there ever uh, like, <clears throat> I guess this is maybe a little bit off topic from cap rate, but say you bought like a class C, is there a limit to how much capital you would pump in to bump it up? Like you wouldn't obviously try to make it into a class A, but how do you figure out exactly how much value you can add before you kind of outprice your market? Right. I mean, that that's where it comes down to, you have to do your rent survey and you have to do your market survey and figure out that can the market absorb this property? Okay, gotcha. Right, like, I mean, that's why you have to look for other rental comps out there to prove, prove the performa. So there are guys, there there are guys out there that they'll do class, they'll buy a class C property and they'll do like just massive, massive, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars per unit, 
actually here's a good example there's guys in seattle like a, they'll, they'll do it in a primary market because there you really have no ceiling on how much you can push rents so what they're they're doing they're buying properties at like two hundred thousand dollars a unit that rent for probably about sixteen hundred dollars which is nowhere near the one percent rent to value ratio but what they're able to do is they'll, they'll bring in yeah they'll put in like fifty thousand dollars per unit and mind you these are smaller properties these are more like 20 30 unit properties but they'll put huge huge capex in they'll just total gut job the property of course these are in better areas where the land values are so high so what they'll do is they'll they'll push that class c property and they'll turn it into a new a minus class property you know they might push the rents from like 1600 to 3000 and that's just some operators are they do that uh, for me personally, I, I think that's sort of like development and it makes me a little queasy. But if you're the type of investor that has that risk appetite, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's very profitable. I, I actually wouldn't mind doing one deal like that where there, there's a guy, there's a guy I know, he likes to, you see him, everybody's drinking beers, but this guy drinks like straight whiskey and everybody knows him as like the guy who takes on these just massive, massive uh, rehab jobs like that and you know he's doing it all with bridge bridge loan debt which makes me that's why i get queasy for that stuff so there's another formula out there i don't use this i don't really quite understand it but if you guys wanted to you know watch this thing again it's called calculating value based on boi and boi stands for banded investment and it's a method to determine the cap rate I don't really quite understand this. I mean, if I'm going to figure out what the cap rate is, I'm going to go ask some of my peers what they're using on their underwriting or what, what it, their last property sold for. But I think at the, at the very baseline level, you need to understand about this formula right here and to know that the NOI, which is just income minus expenses, can be manipulated a lot. That's, um, I'll, I'll do a little article on this later. But any other questions about this topics or anything kind of similar before we open it up for other stuff you guys are working on? Yeah, I have one question. Yeah, good. Um, at what size unit do you think um, this calculation starts to matter? Like, it's, you know, like cap rate, like actually going through the whole cap rate, like exercise. Like, I, I think the, the point when you start to go from residential world to commercial world where you transfer from going properties are valued on comps so even like a five unit like i mean that that technically should be based on noi and cap rates but i don't know right the market might be ran by a bunch of residential brokers and therefore it's going to be sold based on comparable sales so anywhere from like you know two three to eight units i think that's that's the limbo land right there. But this happens a lot, right? Like if you're trying to buy a quadplex and you're trying to argue what you're trying to argue what the price is, you can go with the comparable sales, you know, square footage, price per square foot and what other single families have been sold for, or you argue based on cap rate. I mean, how much income does that property even make and how much does it actually keep, which is the NOI. And you can use it as a basis for negotiation for acquiring that property. But most times you're, you're 
purchasing from a unsophisticated mom and pop investor, they won't get you any. They won't understand any of this anyway. They're they're just going to want the price that they have in their head, whether it's right or wrong. But it's a this is a basis for coming up with your evaluation. Lane. Yeah. Go ahead. So yeah, in your experience, when you're um, doing your due, due diligence and you're verifying or validating the um, the expenses that that you're getting. Looks like Dana cut out. I didn't do that. Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's my bad internet connection, I guess. Okay, go ahead. Go my ahead. bad. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess I was just maybe it's just looking at a different way. Just saying. So really, what you're doing is you're looking. At, you're taking the trailing twelve and you're verifying or validating what they have told you and presented in due diligence as to what the expenses are. I mean, that that's really the only variable here that you're 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 trying to come down to. What's the true NOI? When you're going into a deal, right? Right, right, and it, and it's income too because you don't know. Yeah. They can show you a rent roll, but you don't know if that that six hundred dollars from those four units even dropped into the bank. Okay. Yep. Okay. But your real energy is going into those those things, into the income and the and the expenses, and then right. it's just interesting at the end of it, right? Right. Right. But on the get go, you're I think you're looking at you know, before you even get access to that information and you're just making offers, you, you, you just have to kind of go with the information oh, presented. Yeah, you cut out on me. Yeah. You just have to kind of go okay. with the information. Yeah, sorry. Being I don't presented. know if the internet is still bad. Right. Okay. Sorry. I think we're cut, cutting in and out, but so yeah, what you're saying is when you're making an offer, a letter of intent, you're saying, I'll assume that the numbers you gave me are correct. And then I'll find out in due diligence, whether or not I believe them or not. Right, right. And that's part of the job of the broker, right? Like broker doesn't want to waste their time either. So they're trying to work with that seller to get it right. So, you know, it's just more professionals working with professionals. Now, there was a deal that we did last year where it was direct from seller. There was no broker. It was true, true, true off market, which is incredibly rare. So what we did was we audited the income and expenses as best we could, but there were definitely holes in there. So I think what we did is we were like, all right, we don't know. We have a pretty good idea. Let's increase the reversion cap rate. I think we used like a 7.75 in Southeast Fort Worth. That's like the absolute highest reversion cap rate I've ever seen, 7.75. But Remember that was it was a class C area. It was a really sketchy area. I like I almost didn't want to get out of the car out there. And there were so many holes in the in the financials too. So that's how where we we knew we had something there. So that's where we put the, the slack. If that was if there were clean financials and if there was if it wasn't in such a shady area, we probably would have used like a seven cap for that property for the reversion. But since that, I've never seen a, a cap rate so high, a reversion cap rate so high. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. 
Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.